Good morning, and for those of you that are joining us for the first time, Jess already mentioned, but I just want to say welcome. If it is your first time, by the way, you came on a great week. Brand new song, all right? So you experienced that along with everyone else for the first time, and we're starting a new study, and so it's a perfect time to get started with us. Uh, If I haven't met you, my name is John, and I'm the pastor here, and it was my wife, Jess, that was up here earlier. Um, We are starting a new study, and we're doing something that we have come to really love doing around here. Um, We... Uh, have our service on Sunday, and we love this service, and it's a fantastic time to get together and worship together and learn together. But, you know, for a Christian who really wants to grow and, um, and learn and be encouraged, this just isn't enough. Once a week and what we do here just isn't enough. And so we have groups that meet together during the week, and during a series like this, what we do, we have our teaching on Sunday, but then I also do a sermon-based study guide that our groups do during the week, and it's an opportunity to dig into things that we don't have time to get into in the service because we have a limited amount of time, and then also to talk about how to apply and how to uh, really use what we learn in our lives. And so anytime we're doing a series like this, and we've done the Gospel of John like this, we've done the Book of James like this, we did the Sermon on the Mount like this earlier in the year, um, it's a great time for our church to really be all studying the same thing day in and day out. And then I would encourage you to take it to an even greater level than that and to be reading through our passage from the weekend every day or pieces of it every day, to really be soaking in the Scripture as we're learning together and studying it. And so we are going to start that this week. It's not too late to join one of our groups if you want to get the benefit of that relationship and, um, and study. And I'll tell you that I really depend on what the groups are doing during this series because there's so much to get through and I can't do it all in the service. And I'm spending a lot of time teaching and less time on application because I'm trusting that the groups are doing this during the week. And so if you really want the full value out of this study, being in a group is really important. Um, And we're going to be doing Romans, uh, which is what we're doing, in case you didn't figure that out. Uh, We're going to be doing Romans for a while, okay? (laughs) We're going to be in Romans. Romans is 16 chapters long. And so in order to do it justice, we need to spend time more than one week per chapter. And so we are going to be studying Romans for the next 30 weeks together. That's right, 30 weeks We'll, we'll at least change the bumper video at some time during the series so you don't have to watch the same one every single week. We're going to break it up a little bit. We're going to do Romans for a while, and then we'll take a break for Christmas and for New Year's. We'll come back to Romans. We'll take a break for Easter. We'll come back to Romans, and we're going to finish roughly about the time school finishes next year. So for this entire school year, we're going to be doing the book of Romans. But there's 16 chapters, and in order to do it justice and work through it, we just got to put the time in. All right. And hey, we're going to study something for the next 30 weeks. Might as well be Romans. <laughs> Why not? In fact, what better could we be studying than the book of Romans? The entire Bible is incredible. The New Testament is incredible. Romans is special among them. Romans is like a pillar of the New Testament, like a pillar that we build on. Uh, it is one of the most significant or substantial books that we could read and study. It covers so much ground, such important ground for us to cover as we understand what the good news really is, what the gospel is. Uh, It's so important that uh, Martin Luther said this about it. Martin Luther, the the reformer who uh, basically led the Protestant Reformation, said Romans is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. 
It can never be read or pondered too much. And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. And so that's what we're going to do for the next, almost the next year, the better part of the next year, is we're going to study Romans together. And I want to encourage you to dive in with everything you have into studying this. So not only this, but consider being in a group so that you can process it and learn more together. And then consider reading a piece of it or part of it every single day as well as a part of your daily study that you do. Uh, So significant. And so what we're going to do is we're going to get into just the opening part of this today. We're going to talk a little bit about the book, talk about who wrote it, who he wrote it to, why he wrote it. We'll cover some kind of initial introductory ground today. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Romans. If you bring a print Bible with you, turn there. You can open on your app. We are going to put the scriptures on the screen, but they're going to be coming fast and furious. And it's best if you get used to reading the Bible where you're going to read it on Monday morning. All right, so bring the Bible that you would read on Monday morning, whether that's on your phone or tablet or print or whatever it may be. Uh, the, more, the more you spend time there, the more familiar you get with it, the more comfortable and like home it begins to feel. So um, while you're getting there, let's talk a little bit about the book of Romans so we understand what's going on here. All right, the book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote the majority of the New Testament that we read. These often are letters to churches, and usually those letters are helping those churches understand doctrine but also deal with specific issues that are happening in their churches. That's not quite the case when it comes to this book of Romans. Uh, This was written, we know exactly, by the way, when this was written. It was written in the uh, winter of 57 AD. Uh, Paul wrote it while he was spending a few months in the city of Corinth, who he also wrote a couple of letters to that we're familiar with in Scripture. He spent a few months there, and he wrote this letter. It was toward the end of his third missionary journey. He had uh, been to the churches in Macedonia in that area, and they'd done a collection a financial collection that he was taking to the poor in Jerusalem, and he was on his way back. So he had collected the money. He was on his way back to Jerusalem, stops in Corinth, and in his three months in Corinth, uh, he writes the letter to the Romans, to the Christians in Rome. He doesn't really write, in, in other cases he says, to the church in Corinth, to the church in Philippi, to the churches in Galatia. He, he uh, addresses it to the church, but he doesn't do that in Romans. And the reason he doesn't do it is because there is no church in Rome. There is no official, centralized, organized church in Rome. All they have, I don't want to minimize it by saying all, but what they have in Rome is they have a series of tenement churches or apartment churches in tiny little rooms that would be one, two, or three families gathering together with somebody who was leading them through the Scripture. So it was very organic and very decentralized what was happening in Rome. But I think Paul understood what was going on in history and could see how strategic and important the city of Rome was going to be. This was right at the sort of genesis or the beginning of the rising to power of the Roman Empire. There's just 50 or 60 years before that that they organized and started growing and uh, taking over more and more territory. Eventually, the Roman Empire would be the, the global superpower, and it was on its way up right now. And the church in Rome was on its way up, but it was just getting started. Now, Paul knew a bunch of people who were leading these little apartment churches or tenement churches, but he had never actually been there himself. 
So like when he writes to the church in Corinth, he had been there. They knew him. They had seen his face and talked to him and heard his voice. When he writes to the churches in Philippi, he had been there. They knew him. They had seen his face and they had heard his voice. But in Rome, he had not done that. And so Paul was someone they knew by uh, association and not personally. And so he has to spend some time here introducing himself. Most of, the, or most of the people in the church, in, or these little uh, tenement churches in Rome, were Gentiles. They were not Jewish. They didn't have that history, although some of them were. And most likely, those that were leading them had that history, had that heritage. So Rome is growing. Uh, Christianity is growing. And Paul, I think, understands how influential Rome is going to be. So it's very important that the Christians who are in Rome have a solid understanding of what they believe and where their hope is, and that they understand how to think about how to live and about how to view the rest of the world. And so he's going to spend his time in Romans covering a lot of those things. And I know that even though when we hear the Roman Empire, we may think Christianity or Catholicism, we may think about the Holy Roman Empire, that was not the case when, when they were getting started. Christianity was looked at as an illegitimate religion. Okay? It was just this fledgling thing that these weird people were doing, and we don't really understand it, but it continued to grow and grow and grow and became, in the eyes of the Roman Empire, a problem. And so Nero, who was uh, uh, emperor of Rome, continued to see this problem, began to hate Christians. Rome burned, and there's a lot of people that think that Nero is actually the one that did that, but Rome burned, and he blamed the Christians. And so when he blamed the Christians, a huge persecution broke out against Christians. It carried on into the next Roman emperor, whose name was Domitian, and Domitian carried out some of the worst atrocities against Christians you could even ever imagine. And it wasn't until Constantine in 380 AD uh, accepted Christ as his savior as the emperor of Rome that Christianity established itself with the Roman Empire. So at this time, Paul knows that they are facing and going to head into great trouble and great persecution. And so he writes to them to encourage them. He writes to them to give them focus and understanding so that they can understand how to think about themselves, how they can think about the Jews that are with them. What is God going to do with Israel? He covers all of that uh, as we go through the book. But he wants to give them good news. And that's what Romans is. And there's some bad news in Romans that we'll cover. (laughs) But it is good news that he wants to share. And I think just like them then, we today need some good news. We need some good news. Because we are surrounded by bad news. And as Christians, often it can feel like the restrictions on us and the, the, the uh, persecution or, or pushback or whatever it may be is growing and growing and growing. And just so you know, it will continue to grow. It will continue to grow. And we have to know how to, what is true and what is right and what is good. And we need to focus on our faith and our hope and peace, and love, and joy, and all the things that God instructs us, we need good news. This is a, uh, we live in a time of doom scrolling, doom scrolling, where you're just going through your phone, or you're flipping through the channels, and all you see is news after news after news about wars, and prejudice, and hate, and politics, and arguments, and tragedies, and suffering, and you just, you can just scroll through, and it's just, 
one after another, after another, after another. And I have to imagine that Christians in Rome were seeing one atrocity after another, after another, after another, as they began to see the pressure against them grow and grow and grow and grow. And when that's happening around us, and we have to focus on good news, good news, things that are true and right and holy, and pick up our head, our head out of the phone and off the TV and onto God's word to see what is good and true and right and holy and focus and hang on to this rather than hanging on to anything else. And so that's what we're going to learn to do as we go through Romans. We're going to understand why we need God's righteousness, what God's righteousness is and why we need it. We're going to understand uh, how we receive it. What does it mean to receive his righteousness? We're going to understand how his righteousness sets us free and how we live under his control rather than the control of sin. We're going to talk about what all this means for Israel specifically. That's a big question people have. What does it mean for the Jews? How does this apply? He spends a good bit of time there. Uh, We're going to talk about how we walk in the life that we've been given how we understand how the gospel transforms our life day to day and what it means for us on Wednesday. And so uh, we are going to look at all that as we go through and understand the good news. So let's get started. We're gonna st- that's enough said about it. Let's actually read in Romans. All right, we're going to do the uh, first 17 chapters today. So I'm just going to read them in their entirety. So seven, there aren't even 17 chapters. So that was a, that was a test. <laughs> it would, it, I mean, I know, I, yeah, I got a reputation. I will, I will at times be like, we're just going to read the whole thing. <laughs> but um, no, 17 verses. Does that sound more manageable? Okay, we'll do 17 verses then. Still a lot. <laughs> we'll do 17 verses. All right. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, Separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience from the faith among all nations for his name among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, Paul starts his letter, uh, as he often does, with an introduction and, and a blessing and an identifying of his audience. And he has to do a little more of that here than he does in other places because he hasn't ever been to Rome to see them, even though he is a Roman citizen by birth, which really works to his advantage <laughs> later in his, in his ministry. All right, uh, But he hasn't been there, and so he needs to not only introduce himself, but also sort of establish his authority with them. And so that's why he goes through a lot of the introductory statements that he does. And you're going to talk more about those in your groups this week. What does he mean by these? Why does he say these specific things? Um, he says, uh, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Right? So he takes a humble position and says, I follow and serve him. He says, I'm an apostle separated to the gospel of God. Uh, there's a lot of people that think that this is a play on words because Paul was a Pharisee. And the word Pharisee means separated. So the Pharisees were separated to the law, and now Paul is saying, I am separated to the gospel. He's going to talk about the, the interplay of those things in the letter. Uh, and then he says, he brings up, he uses the word uh, gospel, he uses the word good news. And that's the first time he uses it, and he'll use it many times as we go through this letter. He says, uh, he serves Jesus Christ, who was promised through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And so he's pointing to the Old Testament and the prophets who said that Jesus was coming. And that's an important piece of Romans as well. And then he says that Jesus is both the seed of David, which means he's man, he's descended from David. But he also says he's declared to be the son of God in the resurrection, which means he's also God. And so Paul declares here right at the beginning of his letter the dual nature of Christ to say that Jesus is man and God at the same time. And again, we'll talk more about that in groups this week. It's an introduction so that they can understand who he is. But I think the reality is that even though Paul had never been to Rome to see these people in the flesh, they knew who Paul was. <laughs> Paul, Paul was, and there were a bunch of people there who knew Paul personally from other places. Paul was a little bit of a celebrity. And so they would have known who he was and would have respected him. But of course, he, he feels the need to do this at the beginning of the letter. This letter was... Um, it was cherished by the Christians in Rome. I mean, held in the utmost regard. They would read this letter over and over and over again and distribute it. There are records outside of Scripture. There are records of Paul's letter to the Romans being read hundreds of years afterward to the Christians in Rome. And, I, I, you know, to, for us to have the opportunity to read it and to know it's the truth of God is incredibly humbling. But I think to be a Roman Christian and to know that that was written directly to you sits at a level that is some, somehow different. And I also don't think that it probably should be. <laughs> that we should, we should look at the letter to the Romans in the same way they looked at it. To cherish it the same way that they cherished it. To appreciate it and pour over it the same way they appreciated it and poured over it. And to receive a letter from the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine if we received a letter today from the Apostle Paul that said, to the faithful Christians in Salisbury. <laughs> I, got, I can't even imagine what that would mean to us. Or, or maybe to put it in, in, a, in a sort of a more modern context, even though he's passed away. Imagine if Billy Graham had written a letter directly to our church 
and said things like, I've heard, about your, I've heard that your faith is famous throughout the entire world. Grace and peace to you. What would that mean to us? The, the, the words that Paul shares with them should carry that same kind of weight with us today to understand the, the love and the passion and the joy and the, the pastoral heart that Paul has as he writes this and allow that to rest on us in the same way that it rested on them. How incredible. And he says, I've been called by God to bring good news to all the nations, and I've been called by God to bring good news to you too. How incredible. He says in verse 7 specifically, he says, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's important for us to know who Paul's writing to. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to people that he knows have already accepted Jesus as their Savior. Uh, Romans is often used as an evangelistic document. If you've ever heard of the Romans road or the scriptures that are walked through in order to to, uh, show someone the way to salvation, but it's important to understand that that was not Paul's intent with this letter. This letter was not meant to be read publicly and so that other people would hear it, outsiders essentially would hear it and know how to be saved. This letter was written to Christians so they could understand and appreciate their salvation and what that means for them in their life. It's not like the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is an evangelistic document. It was intended, it is the story of Jesus, and it is intended to be shared with people who are not saved so that they can understand who Jesus is and what he did and what that means for them and come to salvation. I often have people say, if I'm going to read in Scripture, where should I start? I always say John. Start with John. Start with John. That's not the intent of Romans, although we do see many elements uh, of it in the book. So we believe, and this is, this is we'll, you'll hear me teach this here, um, that what we're t- there are a couple of different doctrinal terms that, that need to be understood, and uh, they need to be understood clearly in order to understand Romans. Otherwise, there are things can, that can easily be misinterpreted. Um, but we believe that we are Um, human beings are born sinful, and our sin separates us from God. And if we aren't forgiven for that sin, if that sin isn't paid for, then we will spend eternity separated from God in hell. But God, because he is loving and kind, sent his son, and Jesus, because he took on human flesh, Jesus Christ, and because Jesus is faithful and loving, he gave his life on the cross for us. And he never sinned, and so he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice on the cross in our place. And then he was taken off of the cross and put into a tomb. And on the third day, he rose again in power back to life. And we believe what that means is that we who are sinful, if we put our faith in Jesus for salvation, if we trust him to save us, then we are saved. And just as Jesus was raised to life, we too are raised to life. But it's only in him. It's by faith in him. And when we put our faith in Jesus for salvation, we trust him for salvation, then God justifies us. That's the term, justification. He makes us right before him. And that is something that cannot be taken away from us. We are made right before God. But that doesn't make us perfect here. It doesn't make us like Jesus here. And so then we begin a process that we call sanctification. And that's the process of... Growing in holiness and Christ-likeness and learning to be the people that he's designed us to be. And he gives us the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life to help us to do that. 
So he justifies us and then begins the process of sanctifying us. It's really important to understand the difference between those things. And Romans, you're gonna, I think you're going to talk a little bit about this in groups this, this week, but it can be a little confusing, all right, because at the first four chapters or so of Romans, Paul is talking about justification, and then chapters like 5 through 8, he's talking about sanctification, and then chapters 9 through 12, 11 or 12, he's talking about Israel and what it means for them, and then after that, he's going back to sanctification, what it means to be in ministry and, and, and how the gospel transforms us. Um, but it can be a little bit confusing, and we'll talk about that as we go through. Uh, but it's very important for us to understand uh, that as we are going. And then he expresses uh, to them how impressed he is. Paul tells them how impressed he is with their reputation of faith. He said, oh, you, you, like, people talk about you all, all over the place, all over the world. Maybe that just meant the Roman world. Maybe it meant the, the whole known world at the time. He just can't wait to finally make it to them. And you can, you can see that in what he writes. His passion and his desire to actually get there, and he just hasn't been able to. And you see that throughout uh, Paul's writings and his journeys that he wants to get here, and God redirects his path or moves him over here. He was very flexible to what God wanted him to do, and he just hadn't made it there yet. And he says, when I do get there, there's a few things I really, there's a few reasons that he really wants to see them. And again, you're going to talk more about this in groups, but um, he, there's a few reasons he really wants to see them. He wants to establish them. He said, I have a gift that I want to share with you, and I want to establish you. And that's really important for this church in Rome that's going to be strategically located at the center of basically the known world, the global superpower shortly to come. And so he needs to establish them. And he says he wants to do that with the gift given to him by the Spirit. That's in verse 11. He says that he wants to be encouraged by them in verse 12. He said, I want to see you not only so that I can establish you and give you this gift, but also so that I can be encouraged by your faith and what I've heard about you. It's incredible. And then he says in verse 13 that he wants to, uh, let's see, he wants to see some fruit. And I think this is really interesting the way that it lays out. It's like he's saying, you have, I have the knowledge and the gift, and I have, I have the truth and the doctrine and the teaching. And what I see in you is passion and faith and excitement and, and faithfulness. And if I can take this solid foundation, establish you, and I can take this truth, and I can merge it together with your passion and your faith, which is spoken of all over the world, imagine what kind of fruit is going to come out of that. It's this really cool passage of, of fellowship or desired fellowship. He understands that when those things come together, beautiful things are going to come out of it. Uh, it's, it's a little bit, in my mind, it's a little bit like when you have a, a great entrepreneur or uh, an inventor who's got this great idea or this great system or this great whatever, and you connect them with a great business person that understands marketing and distribution and all of that. And when you can put those two people together, the incredible, life-changing, world-changing things that can happen. It's almost like Paul is saying, I see your passion. I see your tribe. I see your faith. I'm going to bring this. I want to establish you. And then we're going to see what grows out of that. Unbelievable. It's one of the things that I hope happens in our groups as we're meeting together. 
Because some of you have a really rock-solid, stable foundation in Scripture. You have a lot of doctrinal knowledge or scriptural knowledge. And as you come into a group, you're going to have people in that group that, that maybe don't have that same kind of foundation. But they have passion and faithfulness, and, and they want to go get it and get it done. And when those things come together, it's really a beautiful thing. And he says, I really want to get there. I really want to get there to do that. Um, but spoiler alert, <laughs> he never gets there. At least not that way. He ends up in Rome as a prisoner, but never uh, to get to do what he was hoping to do here. He says um, that I, uh, I have a calling to the Greeks and to the barbarians. Um, this is interesting because he, he kind of, usually in Scripture you see the difference between Jews and Gentiles, right? There's just kind of two groups. It's either the Jews or everybody who's not a Jew. But here he takes the Gentile group and he breaks it down into something that would really resonate with them. Because they considered themselves Greeks, even though they were in Rome, right? Greece had just had yeah, kind of coming out of power. Rome's coming into power. They considered themselves Greeks, which means they considered themselves sophisticated, Okay, us Greeks are sophisticated. We understand medicine and philosophy and government and all of this kind of stuff. Not like those barbarians. So in other places, the people that were uncultured or in other places or spoke other languages. So, you know, when he's speaking to the church in, you know, Colossae or he's speaking to the church in, in, uh, in uh, the churches in Galatia or whatever it may be, the big issue is there is Jews versus Gentiles. You have a lot of Jewish believers there. It's Jews versus Gentiles. Here, the issue isn't so much Jew versus Gentile as it is the Greeks versus the barbarians. And so he's, his point is, with all of that, hey, I'm called to bring the gospel to everybody. It doesn't matter. And so with all my heart, I'm ready to bring the gospel to you, just like I did for the barbarians. <laughs> Paul understands that the gospel is for everybody, absolutely everybody. The good news is for everyone. It's for everyone, everyone. And then he says in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. He said it's the power of God to salvation. And it's important to understand in the book of, of, uh, of Romans that the word salvation, we think of the word salvation and we think of justification. We talked about that concept, right? We think of justification. We say they got saved, which means they put their faith in Jesus and he saved them. That's not the way Paul uses the word salvation in the book of Romans, all right? He uses it that way elsewhere, but in the book of Romans, when he says salvation, he's talking about a much bigger thing than that. He's talking about, he's talking about sanctification, all right, saved as in the same, same way as, um, you know, I would say, well, I saved you from that conversation you were in. <laughs> you know, you see somebody who's in a bad conversation, you go over and you're like, hey, they need you downstairs. Do they need you downstairs? No, but you were just saving them from the conversation. That's the sense that when Paul uses the word saved in Romans, that's what he's talking about. Um, when he's talking about justification, he actually uses the word justification or the word righteousness. And that's what we'll see as we go through the book of Romans. All right. But it's the power of God to salvation, which is a big, huge concept, not just that moment that we would say, that moment of salvation. For everyone who believes, for the Jew first, also for the Greek and I've always thought this was interesting. Uh, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I've always read that and thought, why would you be? <laughs> why would you be ashamed of the gospel? 
And the point he's trying to make is, for them, it would have been shameful for, him, for someone to go and preach to the barbarians or to go to other cultures or whatever. You would just deal with the Greeks because they were the sophisticated ones. They were the, the wise ones. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel's for everyone, and so I'll take it to everyone. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter whether they're deemed worthy or deemed unworthy. It doesn't matter whether they have status or don't have status. It doesn't matter whether they're educated or uneducated. It doesn't matter what their skin color is or what language they speak or, or what their history or their tradition is or what family they come from or what their job is, what their career is, what their position is. It doesn't matter who they are. The gospel is for everyone. The good news is for everyone. And so we need to take the same mentality, the same thought. This was preached to all people. No shame, no shame in being associated with them. And then also in the eyes of the Romans, there might have been some shame simply in being a Christian because they worshiped a crucified Savior. Like who worship is some who worships someone who died? So uh, he said, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Jew, Greek, doesn't matter. The righteousness of God has been revealed. And then he says, the just shall live by faith. And that's a quote from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. It's quoted two other places in the Bible. Uh, Paul quotes it in Galatians, and then the author of Hebrews also quotes it. Here's the good news, and it's just as important for us to know as it was for them to know. Anyone, anyone, anyone can put their faith in Jesus and be saved. Anyone. And then he wants to take you and lead you on a journey into something you can't even begin to imagine. Into living the life that you were created to live. That you were designed to live. Not this fake, not this surface level, temporary junk that the world gives us. Something better and deeper and further and higher and holier, and more loving, something that brings more peace, and more hope, and more joy than anything in the world could possibly offer to us. And that is available to everyone, 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 everyone. That includes every single person in this room. And if you've never accepted the gospel for the first time, today is the day to do it. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Trust him for salvation instead of yourself. Trust him. Put your faith in him. And if you have accepted that, and maybe it was years ago, today, your life and your hope and your joy needs to be based on that same gospel, that same truth. And you need to make the decisions. We're going to talk about a ton of them as we go through this book. You need to allow the good news, what God has done, to transform the way that you think and the way that you speak and the way that you act and the way that you live, to transform every decision that you make, every relationship that you're in, to allow it to become the frame for everything else in your life. That you can be declared righteous before God and then you can live free. You can live free from the fear of God's judgment and free to love and know him. You can live free from the control of sin. And you can live free to find hope in God's grace. You can live free from rules-based religion and live free to follow the Holy Spirit. And you can live free from insecurity and insignificance and live free to confidently serving each other.
It's good news. In Christ, you can know God, you can find hope, you can live free, and you can do good. All in the gospel. And over the next 29 weeks now, (laughs) see, it's getting shorter week by week. (laughs) We're going to learn what that means more in detail, all right? More in detail, more specific, down to the very roots of our lives. And so I want to encourage you as we step into this together to embrace it fully, to embrace it fully, to embrace his truth fully as we go through. And we're going to trust God all the way through. All right, so let's go to him in prayer now. We're going to dedicate not only our time today to him, but we're going to dedicate this entire study, this entire series to him. We need his guidance. We need his wisdom. We need the leadership of the Spirit to help us understand and learn and apply. So let's go to him now together. Father, we come to you and want to thank you that there is good news. Without your son, without his sacrifice, there is no good news for us because we are sinful and we know that. We are born with sin. We walk away from you. We walk toward ourselves and our own significance and our own power and our own desires. But we understand that you created us for something far greater than that, something far better than that, something far deeper and more meaningful. You created us for a relationship with you, an eternal one relationship where we live the way that you've created us to live, where we love the way you love. And sin has has broken that relationship and separated us from you. But we understand that your love saw past that and you chose to make a way for us to be reconciled to you, to be justified before you, to be made righteousness, to be made righteous that you gave your son. Christ, that you were willing to come and take on human flesh to live among us and then ultimately to give your life on the cross in our place. You gave your life for me, for every person here and paid for our sin. And we thank you that you were willing to do that to show us the greatest love that has ever been shown so that we could be forgiven. that your righteousness would be placed on us. Father, we thank you that in power, that's not where it ended, that Christ went to the grave and on the third day he rose again. And just as he has life and victory, we too, when we put our faith in Christ, can have life and victory, life that lasts forever with you and life now with you. As we learn, we relearn what it means to live in light of the good news, in light of the gospel, to be transformed from the inside out into the image of Jesus, to to be filled with hope and joy that the world can't offer us, and to see you move and change us. And so right now, we we are opening ourselves up to that at a deeper level than we have before, no matter what it's looked like in our life. At a deeper level right now, God, we open ourselves up to you. And I pray that you move in someone's heart right now to accept you for the first time, to trust you for salvation for the first time. Lord, that you move in all of our hearts right now to trust you again, 
to walk with you again, to deepen our commitment to you, our faith in you, our trust in you, our love for you. As we know that you not only have hope for our future, you have hope for today. That today we can walk more closely with you and love you with all of our heart. Today we can become more like your son, Jesus, than we were yesterday. All as we keep our eyes up, Christ to your glorious return. We pray that that happens as soon. As soon as is right, but our prayer is that it's today. That your kingdom would come today, that you return today. But if you don't, our promise to you is to remain faithful day in and day out as we wait. And so we put our eyes on you because we know truly you are the only one that has good news. Good news for us and good news for everyone else, everyone, everyone. And so God, I pray that even in our hearts, in our minds, as we are thinking about our our own salvation, what the gospel is for us, that you would soften our hearts and our minds to everyone around us, people that are different than us, people that uh, come from different backgrounds, people who speak differently, think differently, act differently, people that it might be easy for us to write off or push aside, that you would begin softening our hearts toward them. And then as we go through the series and as we go through our life and as we study the book of Romans, help us to understand how to think and what you want us to do with that. But right now, I just pray that you begin softening our heart so that we understand what the gospel is for us, but we understand what it is for others as well. So God, as we do that, as we walk forward faithfully, we need your guidance. We need you to uh, enlighten us and teach us and show us things that we might miss on our own. We need your wisdom. We ask right now that as we, as we study through the book of Romans, that the Holy Spirit is very present with us and we are listening to him and following him and trusting him so that we can, better, so we can understand properly what's in front of us. But then as we take it and apply it to our life, then we can understand what's in front of us there. And so we're asking for that right now. We're declaring together that we're going to walk with you through this. And we're going to trust you and we're going to be responsive. We're going to listen. We're going to allow this next season of our lives to grow us in our walk with you and our walk with each other in a way that we never have. And so we offer all this to you. This is, this is one big, huge act of worship, God. We want you to know how much we love you and trust you and will follow you. And so receive it. And our prayer is that it will bring you as much honor and as much glory as possible. And so do that in us. We're trusting you. We love you, God, and we thank you for this. It's in your name we pray. Amen.